Three, two, one. Test, test, test. Can you say test? Test. Oh, recording here as well. Seems it worked. Working. I could say test. Mm. Great. Success. Mm. Cool. All right. Let's start recording. Um, it's been a busy week. It has been a busy week. Yeah. Lots of betas. Zach, are you still running? Actually, let's go for a minute topic first. Leave people in suspense. Savage. Zach, do you want to take this? Yeah, sure. Um, so I had a question for both of you. Um, Uh-oh. Mum is... It's time for mum to get a new iMac. Um, mm-hmm. And Ooh, she's had her current iMac since timing. 2012. It, she's not buying it new. Okay. We have the iMac that she's migrating to. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. She's, she's just... It's an upgrade, but it's not a new iMac. Um, okay. We've got the we've got the one um, that she's up. So I think she's going from a 2012 to maybe like a 2013, but the 2013 has an, an SSD, mm-hmm. um, whereas her Mac has a, a hard disk drive, which is why it's it's slowed down quite significantly yep. recently. Mm-hmm. Um, hence the need for an upgrade. Anyway, so she's not buying a new one. So um, like the actual Mac aside, we know we we've got the one that she's moving to sitting on the mm-hmm. desk downstairs. Anyway, my job probably this weekend or maybe in the next week, we'll see, um, is to migrate basically from her old Mac to her new Mac. And I, I've I've never used any kind of Mac migration tool assistant, anything like that. Uh personally, when I've gotten a new Mac, I just start it fresh and go from there and just you know spend a day whatever it is uh Mm -hmm. installing everything but in the case of mum um i think it would be ideal to get her new mac in as close to the same state as her old mac is um ideally with as little input from her as possible basically it would be nice for me to just (laughs) spend a few hours or leave it to do its thing for a few hours and she can sit back in front of the new one and it almost seems identical to what she's used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to know if either of you have experience with either the Apple Migration Assistant or any other tools that you would recommend for transferring data between an old Mac and a new Mac um, with the goal in mind of having as much as possible be the same uh, at the end of the migration process and not just a simple copy and paste of a, a documents folder. Um, yeah. yeah. I think I usually set it up new. It was a while ago. Now, but I tend to set it up from scratch. I think today I probably wouldn't do that. I would use a migration tool. Um, but yeah, I'm probably not the best person to answer this. Kai. <laughs> um, okay. It feels like you change computers quite Kai? a lot, Kai. So. Yeah, yeah. The, the problem with the last few times was that we kind of moved across oceans. So I didn't really have the old iMac to transfer to the new iMac. But <laughs> I was in a fortunate situation in Sydney that my iMac was kind of giving up the ghost every every other week. Yeah, so, um, so, so great for you, so getting I, all this practice. <laughs> So all of that information is kind of more from the high CRM Mojave uh, era period, but I I have used both the migration assistant successfully between two iMacs as well as the going to uh, Time Machine to Time Machine backup and then restoring from that in the case of the iMac completely dying and therefore not being able to do a live migration, and both of them were I would say near flawless. Okay, um, I. In one situation, had I installed some stuff through Homebrew that was kind of broken, it had to be reinstalled on a new iMac. But overall, it was 
pretty much what you would expect it to to do. So I would I would totally recommend that. I mean, okay, so pretty seamless. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, yeah. Especially if you have. Did you like, use Wi-Fi? No, I, oh, no, sorry, you go. I, I just used Ethernet, so just a Ethernet cable yep, between yep. the two. Okay, cool. That seemed yep, to be. I've I got mean, a. Um, I got a Thunderbolt 2 to Thunderbolt 2 cable sitting on my desk, which I've used once, and I would be very happy to get some use out of it. I believe we can transfer the data between them with this cable. Um, so, That's I'm okay. hoping to The 2012 go. iMac, does that one have Thunderbolt 2? Uh, I would hope so. I had a 2012 MacBook Pro that had one, that had a Thunderbolt 2 port. Um, I could be wrong about the iMac, though. So, Kai, did you use... Uh, I think it's Thunderbolt 1 on the 2012. Oh. Um, which, I mean, give it a shot. It will tell you if it can't work, <laughs> if it won't yeah. work. So, yeah. Kai, which one yeah, did you prefer? Do you prefer using the migration assistant directly, or did you find that the time machine was just as good? It seemed about the same. Yeah. yeah. What was faster? Definitely the... I think the migration assistant was faster. It's okay. a Do bit think- blurry. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. But either of them seem seem fine, I would. And it's also, you're not losing a lot, right? If you're going to a new Mac and for some reason it fails, well, too bad. Worst case, you have to do whatever you would have done otherwise. Um, yeah. But at least yeah, you have as a yeah, you you've got the old Mac there. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's harder, I guess, in the situation where your Mac actually just died on you. Because yeah. that, that, then you don't have it. But I think in your mother's situation, she can just go back in worst case. Mm. But yeah, you're definitely in a good situation where it's like, yeah. give it a shot. You know, it, it does its thing. It usually doesn't use, need any user input, right? You just start mm. the thing and let it do its thing. And if you're lucky, everything works as expected. Most likely it will, considering that, uh, I mean, I think in general, my software setup was probably quite complex, more complex than most use mm-hmm. cases. So unless your mother is very heavy user of, of custom compiled software on her machine, I would think the odds of it being successful are even higher. Yes. I mean, there's nothing funky on that machine at all. It's all just the, mostly the, the default applications. I think she's in a browser a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, only third-party apps would probably be like 1Password and the Microsoft suite. So, <laughs> I don't think we have a lot to worry about at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the thing is, it would be fairly straightforward to set it up as a new Mac as well. But the, the goal has to be like as minimal input from her as possible. Um, mm-hmm. just, just because I know she'd prefer to not have to do, like, just not have to think about what she needs to put on there. And so my goal when I sit down and transfer it is to just bring everything across so that she's not in a position of, oh, I need X application, but I don't know where to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also quite which, nice, right? To just yeah. have a thing, know you're done now, <laughs> rather than like, uh, every, every mm-hmm. couple of hours realizing, oh, there's another thing. I didn't yeah. realize I'm actually using, but now I need it back and yeah, need it to be yeah. configured the way it was. Yeah, I think especially when it comes to dev tools, that often happens to me that there's something I might have used like once every second month or something. And then I'm like, ah, oh, damn, I need this. And then you have to start installing it when you have this brilliant idea that you want to implement. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that can be a bit frustrating. But I think, I think that's why I would go with a migration assistant. But it also... It's just nice to have it completely set up all in one. I understand why it's sometimes nice to start with a clean slate, but I don't think I have that many, that much crap on my computer in the first place. So I would be happy to just move everything over. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking forward enough. to getting no, good, a new computer. Uh, good advice. Thanks. Yeah, I'm hoping to get a new computer soon, an iMac yeah. as well. But I'm feeling like this is not the best time. <laughs> I should probably wait till March. Yeah, the time will come. Yes. Yes, it's only it's only four weeks away. Yeah, I'm just thinking. Yeah. Oh wow, March is soon, but yeah, we'll see. 
Uh, yeah, I'm super hopeful that we get a new. I don't like. Uh, yeah, I'm super hopeful for a new computer, a new 13 inch or 14 inch MacBook Pro. In my <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I'm sure we'll talk about that later on. All right. Um, but when you get your new computer, what <laughs> software is it going to be running? <laughs> wow. We've got a bunch of new betas this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a exciting. We've got a macOS beta, Mac mm. Catalina beta. Um, but the most exciting beta, I think, was the Xcode 11.4 beta. Um, it's especially exciting <laughs> if you're doing a lot of work with SwiftUI, as you have been. Oh, boy, um, yes. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts? What are you, what are you excited for in this, <laughs> uh, in this new version of Xcode? It's actually quite a long laundry list yeah, of, yeah, of like, quality of life improvement. And it's also, looking at the release notes for this beta, right. it's a lot. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Uh, and so many things that are useful for so us good. in like day-to-day stuff. Um, yeah, I think, Kai, what you were... I mean, you were excited about things that weren't... What would you say? Would you say SwiftUI was the most I mean, exciting? Because I know you've been playing around a lot with uh, push notifications um, in the simulator. It, it's it's hard to pick one, right? There, yeah. there are a lot of things overall that just make this like nicer across the board. I really... I mean... F- Considering that we do work a lot on SwiftUI on a SwiftUI app at the moment, the new diagnostics or just like the diagnostics that come with uh, Swift 5.2 are just a complete game changer of how to mm-hmm. how to work on SwiftUI apps. I mean, realistically, it would have been more useful a couple of months ago when we yeah, got started. Because I know, but. It's still great. It is great because I still, even though I know that I can't rely on error messages good error messages would help me. <laughs> like at, the, at this point, I sort of just got used to the fact that error messages for SwiftUI are not going to really tell me anything. <laughs> they tell me what file is having a problem, but that's pretty much it most yeah. of the times. But, but it kind now, of changed your workflow too and your mindset, yeah, right? Yeah. When you didn't have diagnostics, you're like, you're, you're a lot more considerate when you write your code. Yeah. Because you're like, no, this is all up to me. I have to know what I'm doing here. <laughs> so I went to a lot more reading documentation rather than relying on, on like mm. code completion. Yeah. But it's, it's really... It's good. Like, it's helpful to read documentation, but I also think <laughs> it's good to have a balance. You, you shouldn't have to do that all the time because I think sometimes I just had a typo or I forgot to pass a parameter into a function and it didn't tell me that. But now it will tell you what the actual problem is. So, for example, if you're trying to provide an integer to a function that needs a double, it will tell you that. It's amazing. Well, it used to always tell you, cannot convert uh, uh, into CG float. So. Yeah. That, that was kind of the error you always got. Um, but now you also get uh, like useful ones across your app and usually also very close or exactly where you made your mistake. So it's, I know. it's a huge improvement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd say if someone has considered to play with SwiftUI but wanted to, mm. like be, still being excited enough to kind of jump into something that's kind of new, but not completely into the pain of of kind of blind debugging. I think now is the next kind of mm. bigger step in when it becomes feasible to try SwiftUI. Yeah, I think until now, I wouldn't really recommend people who are not familiar with Swift or UIKit to jump into this. But I think even now, people who are like relatively new to the platform could use this and not get as frustrated. Yeah, but it's definitely the next milestone. Yeah. It, it definitely feels the way, like the entire diagnostics and rewrite, right? It feels like something that the team probably would have ideally liked to ship uh, with SwiftUI, but probably things didn't come together in the same time. I mean, sounds like uh, last year was a busy one. Yeah, I mean, it also would sounds like this would have been a lot of work. So mm. I can imagine you want it to be complete. Mm. 
So yeah, this is definitely the next milestone for in general Swift stuff, but in particular Swift UI. Um, like all the type checking and, and uh, diagnostics and mm. the reporting is so much better. It's so it's so good. Yeah. I didn't expect this to... It makes such a big difference though because SwiftUI is one of those things where everything is so abstracted, particularly mm. types. And so when you're getting errors that are specifying where you've gone wrong, like even the simple example that you used before of, you know, needing a... a um, using an int instead of a float or something or, or a double, um, you you look at that code and to you it looks correct, right? You're giving I don't know something a a, a padding of two, and you you know you're, that looks right, but no, it needs to be a different type. So it's just like like those little kind of things, and that's mm. one of the most frustrating things when using SwiftUI is yeah, um, yeah. all of and that, think, like the, the obvious mistakes that you wouldn't notice. Yeah, and I think in general there aren't that many people in the world that are using SwiftUI at the moment. So if you have a problem. With SwiftUI, it's hard to find help online and try to find like other people who were in a similar situation. But I think if this can bubble up the actual error, I think you can sort of figure it out without having to find a specific solution for Swift UI, for SwiftUI. I think it's just certain things, like like I said, like sometimes a function might just miss a parameter, and you can figure that out. That that's not a, spe- a specific problem for SwiftUI. So I think that can help a lot. Yeah, but it's also, it will help a lot of people because the, the standard error you used to get for things that, uh, where the compiler just kind of didn't know where, what the actual is, issue was, was in is not convertible to CG float, which is not only not helpful, it's also often just wrong. It's mm-hmm. like it isn't, that is not where the issue lies. Hi. Yay, Hello. we're back. We're back. I don't know what happened. I didn't even get like a kernel panic warning or any kind of notification while my computer restarted. So that's oh. that's a fun one. Did your computer just completely just become unresponsive? Yep. Mm. Not even running beta. Yeah. Yeah. It, Terrible. I, yeah. Didn't respond anymore. Uh, the trackpad wouldn't click anymore. And then it went black and restarted by itself well at least it did it by itself anyways i just want to clarify now when when we broke out i just looked into this example that i was trying to make um so i feel like i confused everyone in our swift ui error handling explanation Uh, i think the common error that kai was referring to is often saying cannot convert um into cg float Mm mm-hmm that was not what I was referring to. Like what I was referring to is that sometimes it just doesn't detect if you do send the wrong type in general to a function. And I made an example mm-hmm. of an int being sent, but it should be a double. And the reason why I did that was because in Apple's documentation, their sample code has a circle that has a rotation, which takes a degree. And this degree ex- is expected to be a double. So if you pass an int, that's going to break. And now Swift will tell you. Now the compiler will tell you that. It was a terrible example to make. Yes. Uh, but... This is something that will be fixed in general. In general, parameter types seem to be actually, if you pass in the wrong parameter or the wrong parameter type, it seemed to actually let you know about that. But it's also hmm. interesting how they're doing that, right? They actually, con- uh, rather than just stopping the compilation at the first error, they actually hmm. try to fix the errors as they compile and keep going and keep yeah. keep references to what they fixed on the way hmm. to then being able to kind of produce all those results, which is in particular useful for the way swift ui is structured where it's actually like a whole bunch of stuff happening yeah so if that do you think that is 
I assume that was a lot harder to do, or it was a lot harder to bubble those things up in SwiftUI because there's so many layers going on underneath. And now this solution fixes that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The compiler doesn't have to guess yeah. where where the exception is happening. And it now can know where it happened and then point to that yeah. with its diagnostics. Yeah. Which is significantly uh, better in, in almost every way, both for SwiftUI but also outside of SwiftUI. Um, I mean, yeah. it's still it's still a beta, so there's still other issues. Like we're getting yeah. a lot of like the um, <laughs> compiler uh, synthesized um, inits for structs seem to not work as reliably at the moment, mm. but I'm sure that will be fixed before March. Yeah, yeah, but the workaround for this is that we just have to add our own initializers for some of our. Uh, SwiftUI views because otherwise it won't compile. But I assume it's nothing we will have to ship with once it's actually in a release. Once the, once it's not. But it's also not a big. No, it's not a big right? deal. Worst case, we have a bunch of initializers we wrote rather than relying on a compiler writing them for us. Yeah, I mean it's it's nice not to, but it's not a big deal either yeah. way. Yeah. I I much rather take the better diagnostics over over uh, saving myself to write an initializer. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Me too. Um, but yeah, this is this is really nice. So I mean, we've only been using it for two days, uh, but I am very happy with it. And in general, I use it for all of the macOS app work we're doing. Um, so I think it's good. Something that I'm excited about, which I haven't really been using yet, um, is that there is um, there's a new um, functionality for the view debugger where you can actually see the layout constraints. Mm. Which is really cool. So if you're noticing that something looks off, you can see what the constraints is for that. Or if something isn't centered, you can see what the constraints are to the different sides, and then you will figure it out. It's really good because I, in general, I didn't really, realize that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I in general really like the view debugger, but this is something I've been missing. And often, if you have to sort of manually go through and look at your constraints, but hopefully this will help with that. But I haven't been able to use it that much for the Swift UI app because the constraints are sort of built for you automatically you just add padding for example and then it's being set for you but in, in theory this seems like a really useful tool mm. the other one to call out for the view debugger is ca layers um yep. will now appear which oh, yeah. never been the case so, so if you have like a translucent stuff, cool. so if you would have like a translucent layer would that be displayed as a translucent layer sure i guess so uh because previously you've, you've only been able to see that view sort of in the hierarchy and not and not um layers that you've added two of you so yeah it's um i haven't played around with it yet it would have been really helpful with some work i was doing a couple of weeks ago um lots of layers and animations and stuff mm. um but the next time i'm playing around with them i'll be sure to check it out and mm. um probably report back on the podcast i guess mm. <laughs> another thing that's that's that i really like is that you can now simulate remote notifications oh yeah yeah this was what i what i was talking about that you've been using quite a lot because you have an app um, that relies heavily on notifications. So yeah, but in general, sense. just testing testing notifications before was always a pain because it wouldn't work at all in the simulator, right? So yeah, you so always need a device. You right? always need a device, but then you also need something that actually sends the notifications. You have to get your entire like your your um, certificate or your your token to to actually send the push notifications. You have to keep track of the the device tokens to push to and you just gotta get so much stuff set up to then actually try whether the code on your device works it was always such a pain to to get all of that working 
just just to try potentially simple things and the cycle was a lot slower because you couldn't use it in the simulator so just everything was a bit more of a hassle then you had different devices that had different tokens in different environments and now you can just have a, a json file that you write with the hmm. push notification that you would like to send drop it into simulator and magically it uh, appears in the simulator <laughs> as if a remote notification arrived, which so is lovely. really, really... Yeah. I mean, it, it saves so many hours of, of mm -hmm. notification-related uh, uh, debugging mm -hmm. that, yeah, I'm super excited about. And I'm, I'm excited about future projects that require push notifications for us to use this flow <laughs> instead of the, the old and tedious flow. Nice. And <laughs> it's just nice, too, because that means you can have a whole bunch of like pre-configured sets of notifications you want to try. Right, you can have like three or four um, uh, JSON files that just get send particular notifications. Like you could try something with a content available where you actually want to just fetch some stuff in the background. You could try one that kind of clears previous notifications. You can build up threads. Like all those scenarios mm -hmm. are really easy to replicate now with like files that you can have in your in your project. Like commit to your project so everyone can go through the same scenarios and replicate it quite easily without everyone having to have like access to like some kind of way of sending push notifications and weird ways of managing the files. It's just a very neat, neat not only is it a super useful feature, but I also think the implementation is quite neat. Mm. Um and also for like UI testing. Like that was always uh, wasn't really possible before and I assume I haven't actually looked into that but I assume you can use that uh, also to 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 simulate those now in, in UI tests. Hmm, interesting. Ah yeah that makes sense. There's, there's a lot of improvements for UI tests actually. I know. Mm. It's quite exciting. Like a lot of the permission stuff um, that is I know we've all we've all gone through some interesting workarounds to reset <laughs> permissions and to simulate different permissions mm -hmm. and things like that in UI tests, but hopefully um, that's a thing of the past. And it's really good because it just it leads to more stable tests mm -hmm. but also you're able to test, the, like, actually what you need to test. You're actually able to test your app based on the permissions as opposed to half the test being the setup of certain permissions and that being flaky and that mm. potentially breaking. So, a uh, nice efficiency win there. Yeah, especially on CI, right, where where your device might be in a in a different state from, from your local device and your test only fails on CI because mm -hmm. the device there didn't give permission and then all the, the responder stuff was always a bit flaky and sometimes wouldn't work properly. Uh, so yeah, just knowing, like that—that's the point of a test, right? You want to know what state you're simulating and then testing for that, and not having to have all this other code that just handles a whole bunch of different scenarios to then actually get to your actual test. So yeah, that is that is great too. Then the yep. being able to finally change the carrier name in your simulator—that's <laughs> more something that people will use for uh, screenshots, screenshots yeah. though, right? Yeah, quite good. Yeah, that means I can get rid of carrier in all my. <laughs> Pre-notch iPhone screenshots. Uh, yeah. So that's... Um, I'm excited about that too. Mm. So like overall, just I think this is, this is almost a... Uh, you know, usually we get those kind of nice quality of life in, uh, improvements, not kind of in the middle of the year. So it's quite cool to, to see such significant upgrades. Yeah, yeah it makes me wonder how tools. many of those things were meant to be released at WWDC that were pushed back, but... I don't mind getting them now rather than waiting mm. to WWDC. But in general, it's quite nice to get like nice, nice quality of life developer improvements throughout the year because none mm. of those break anything really, right? They're just additive things that used to be more awkward or less awkward now. Mm. So it's a nice 
like if if that's a deliberate decision it's actually quite nice to do those kind of quality of life insurance uh quality of life improvements to your dev tools throughout the year and then add new features kind of during the period that we've been trained for for years now to expect larger code changes mm. i i wouldn't mind that if that's becoming a more regular cycle yeah 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 makes sense very nice uh, have you had a chance to play around with the new xcode version zach no, not in any meaningful way. Um, I've run into an issue um, trying to build Petty with um, the the Swift Package Manager private mm. thing that I've got going. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's really not a lot of help online about it. Um, so, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things I think is more an Xcode bug than a My Project bug. Um, so, my plan at this point is probably to hold off for a fortnight until the next... Um, beta comes out i should probably Mm. file a radar i only discovered it this morning but um yeah i should probably file a radar for this one um just so that apple gets some diagnostics um and hope that either i'm doing something terribly wrong and the kind people answering the radar can tell me exactly what (laughs) or um it's an xcode bug and um it'll be fixed in a a beta or two Mm. Um, but i am very excited for all of the new features and um quite excitedly read through the release notes the other morning and Mm. um, yeah it's quite exciting to see what's come out and it it is awesome that sort of halfway through the like apple's development cycle year thing we get such good important improvements Mm. um there wasn't a lot on the feature front for ios and um mac os and watch os and all of that but Mm -hmm. it's a really nice quality of life improvement for developers um and there's some nice even there's some nice sort of um things that developers can now do that will affect end users, for example, um, in-app purchase on Apple Watch, which mm. is absolutely something I'm excited mm-hmm. to to look at, um, as well as um, universal apps and things like that between... Or, or universal purchases, sorry. Did you did you happen to have a look at the, the macOS Catalina 10.15.4 beta release notes? No. No, I haven't looked at the notes <laughs> yet. I am running that, that software, but no, I haven't read the notes. <laughs> Um, they're, they're exactly oh, yeah, two changes, wait, read them. Yeah, which is yeah. kind of uh, crazy for, I mean, 10, 15.4. It's not like a, you know, it's not just a bug fix release, but the only, the only, I can, I can read the entire release notes for you <laughs> on the show. Uh, it's one new feature, which, um, uh, something where you can have XPC between apps and extensions for endpoint security, whatever. And Mac Catalyst, uh, you can have certain keyboard events. Uh, being dispatched to WK web views. <laughs> That's it. Is that really a ah, Mac? Okay. I feel is that in the Mac release notes? Yeah, because that feels more like a that is most rela- mostly relevant for uh, for the developers. Yeah, it seems like a, a. I mean, this is a beta release, right? Yeah, Which is relevant I guess so. to developers. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very minor one. I, I wonder if we're seeing more yeah, because, like, in, even yeah. even like shared um, iCloud. Drive folders oh, yeah, yeah, is yeah. back in in the um, iOS beta, mm-hmm. but it's not back in the macOS beta yet. Hmm. So I wonder if that's being pushed we'll get or if we're not seeing that in the next release. The Mac release notes kind of remind me of the watchOS ones, which uh, I think there's only two points in there, and one of them is you can now use StoreKit on watchOS. So <laughs> yeah. the yeah, other one, I don't remember what it is, but it's not very significant. Mm. So. But like I said, it feels like those are more focused on things that developers will be able to use. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I mean, I'm obviously biased, but I think it's great to great that they continue giving us some more functionality, um, especially since it felt like there were certain things that might have been pushed uh, from the WWDC announcements. So it's great to see this. 
Um, yeah, but you mentioned universal purchases. Already. Yeah, there was there was a segue like five minutes ago. So universal purchases is something that you now can get that you can support on Xcode. Um, sorry, that you can <laughs> universal purchases are available in the new Xcode build. That's what I want to say. I mean, in general, I don't really like all the information about universal universal much. purchases is very um brief <laughs> there's not much for i for for universal purchases for mac os i wonder if there i haven't looked at the documentation for ipad os but i feel like i have some questions i mean ipad you already have universal binaries right that's that's yeah. very different from what this is so my but understanding but so far, but for to get the universal purchases you still need to do the universal binary right no 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 i at least the way I understand this, okay. it's very different from the concept of a universal binary. So you're not you're not submitting one binary that's available on, across all platforms. It's just it just means all the apps are p- considered one purchase, mm-hmm. sharing a bundle identifier and sharing their in-app purchases okay, and so subscriptions. The code itself isn't shared. It's so just, yeah, that's yeah. my understanding. Is you could release today. An app kit, or not today, but as soon as uh, 11.4 and, and all the new software ships, mm-hmm. uh, you can um, create an app kit app, give it the same bundle identifier as your iOS app, and now they all share like oh, the same receipts. So you I can check this... whether someone bought an in-app purchase in the iOS app on yeah. the macOS app, because yeah. then now if they ask StoreKit for the receipt, they will get the same information back as they would on the iOS app, where the purchase potentially have happened before. That makes sense. When I read this, I assumed it was mostly focused on Catalyst, but you're right. Catalyst they don't, is they just don't actually specify. For Catalyst, it's just on by default. Mm. So if you do build a iOS app, an iPadOS app, and you hit the Catalyst yeah. box with the 11.4 beta, it will create a Catalyst uh, target in your in your Xcode project mm-hmm. that is just pre-configured for the universal purchase. Yeah. So that's just yeah. the, the new default. So yeah. the, the bundle identifier is across, uh, the same across yeah. all of those products. So if you don't have that, if you already have like an existing Mac OS app, you can just change the binary. Sorry, the bundle identify for it. And then Can you though? That, that's what I'm not sure about. Because if you, so far, always on on uh, iOS, a new, or in, on Apple platforms in general, mm. different bundle identifier means different app, right? Yeah, so that's you true. can so not change the bundle identifier for an existing app. That's yeah, so maybe it would store. have to be released as a new app. That's kind of what I'm expecting here, which is interesting because all the existing Catalyst apps have this kind of weird uh, Catalyst uh, prefix, postfix. I forget where they they put it. Um, The kind of, I don't know. What was the bundle identifier in the end, Zach? I forgot. Um, I think it's changed to Mac Catalyst, right? Whereas it used to be UI kit for Mac. Yeah. Uh, yeah, If I recall correctly. Mm. Yeah. So I'm just looking at it. It So let me just pull it up. Mac Catalyst dot whatever your bundle mm. identifier is, yeah. And then it depends on Mac. So mine is Petty on Mac, which is stupid. <laughs> but it's also interesting. So I don't really know if there is a migration path. Yeah, I, I can't no, it find doesn't really that say that. that. It mm. says you can choose to create a new app for these platforms using a single app record on the app, on App Store Connect or add platforms to your existing app record. So that makes it sound like if you have one on iOS, you can add other ones or vice versa. But they might not be, you might not be able to unify them. And I think you're right. I've been in a scenario where I was working on an app that was already available on iPad, 
but it was separate bundler day and we want to release it as a single bundle and we had to basically retire the old iPad app in order to actually introduce the new one. And that was a bit of a hassle. Um, mostly for the sake of teaching the customers on why they should do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe, maybe that's how it will be continue, continue working. Yeah. But by, it's the, by the sound of it. Definitely interesting and kind of different to universal binary, right? Because there is definitely, mm. I mean, for us too, right? We yeah. will definitely use that because it's quite useful because we don't charge per app. Like it's not that yeah. you buy the app up front on different platforms. It's more that you subscribe to the service in one yeah. and then you obviously should get access to it on, on all the different yeah. apps. But I we'll- think this makes sense for so many that have in a purchases for for subscriptions especially if you don't want to have your own service side yeah code. but in general in app purchases right i don't know if you're anything that where you kind of buy even consumables it would be kind of nice to to have that across all your all your platforms and i do like that it's not a universal binary because i assume that also means you can release updates yeah that's at different cadence right you could release a a new iris and ipad os update and then release a mac update uh like mm. um disconnected from that at a later point in time that would be really nice i think that's sort of making a pretty good that's a pretty good option rather than having everything universal mm. so my assumption is as of what we've seen so far it just that you asked store kit for for the receipt everything is the same um and that's kind of the only it, like thing that mm. you have to consider so it's basically just like having the same app installed on two iPhones, just that you can do that across all it's different not, You don't really have to care, right? You yeah. just care, did my, did this user buy this thing and validate that with yeah. Apple? And yeah. you don't really care where the purchase comes from. That's yeah. my assumption. Yeah, yeah. So no, you don't even really have good. to consider that you're running on multiple platforms, right? Yeah. You just have to check, is this purchase, did this purchase happen? And you got it back from Apple and you verify everything. But you can still release like completely separate. You yeah. don't. You're not forced into Catalyst from from the look of it. It seems like you can release whatever AppKit app you yeah. have or AppKit app you're building. Considering that we don't really know if there is a migration passed from separate apps to Universal Purchase. But assuming you're releasing something in in March or or later, you could have an AppKit app and an iPad app and an iOS app with completely different code base, but all sharing purchases. And I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think that would be really nice. Um, interestingly, in the release note for in the in these uh, update notes about universal purchases, it also specifies that you have to convert certain of your Mac. Uh, they they unify in the categories for iOS and Mac, mm. iOS, macOS, and uh, iPad OS. No, yeah, that sounds really weird. All of the OSs are being unified <laughs> in terms of their categories. Yeah, it's uh, quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, but what I it kind think, of makes sense, though, right? Because it, it, you yeah. have to have the same categories across all platforms now. Yeah. Because you can have a universal purchase, yeah. and they obviously should be in the same category. Otherwise, it, it it's weird. It does make sense. But I think what I found to be interesting is that there's gonna it's going to be possible to have an iOS app that is a developer tool and mm-hmm. a graphic design tool. Um yeah, now it kind of depends, right? That's Your pessimistic approaches, Apple had to do it because of universal purchases and their antiquated shop system wouldn't allow for, you know... <laughs> yeah, if, if yeah. it could just be like, yeah, in order to support this on macOS, we have to add it to iOS. Yeah. But we no don't one want developer have. tools, but we had to because we wanted this other thing. Yeah. Or, or the more optimistic approach, maybe, uh, I mean, we talked about that months ago. Mm. It might be time for Xcode uh, in the summer. Xcode on 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 iPad that is and on iOS then like 
yeah. <laughs> which seems a little it's a little bit of a stretch here but I, I i don't think that's impossible no i mean things really come together now right like swift ui is is a very obvious candidate for for um ipad development especially the the canvas view you know the kind of split split view approach that you have with swift ui development we kind of see the live preview on one side and yeah. being able to hit the play button and kind of get the get the full app running or the full view running yeah. it's yeah. it it would lend itself to a very nice flow yeah and now also when you have uh, when apple is supporting um god i lost the word the uh, swift, swift package, package manager, manager. Yeah. yeah that makes sense as well because i mean it would have been hard to have something like coco pods in a terminal on an ipad but mm -hmm. if you have the swift package manager especially while maintaining the integrity of the ipad yeah and the security uh, implications yeah. that a terminal access if there have. only was some type of cloud service where you could just run the app right that like seems build to it be... and submit it and upload it directly like some type of like continuous integration system that would complete this. Yeah, yeah, that, that definitely seems like uh, the missing link here to, to tie this all together. Yeah. And again, something that's not unlikely to... I mean, BuddyBuild, when did they acquire BuddyBuild? Two years ago Two now? Two years ago, yeah. Or, or is it one year ago? No. No, it must have been two. I think it was like 1st of January of 20... It's been, yeah, it's been 10. just over two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. so it also seems like twenty eighteen to tie 20. all of this together to bring BuddyBuild, uh, to release BuddyBuild at next up-up. With iPad Xcode, to me, that seems like a cohesive story, mm -hmm. right? You can now build, debug, try, and it's quite easy, right, with on iPad to try even an iPhone-sized exactly. view, yeah. right? It's quite nice. You get the touch input. It's it's native to that kind of uh, interface. Yeah. Have the view split. Um, yeah, and potentially don't... I think I think something that would be a bit finicky on an iPad is to worry about signing certificates and distributing the app. But if you have something that does that for you, in the cloud, far away, then you can get the whole. It's a it's a complete product, and I think then you could potentially even release something from your iPad. <laughs> yeah, the the next big step is make App Store Connect actually work on iOS <laughs> devices. So then that is the, well, that the big nice. challenge that's still outstanding. And I don't know if Apple can can tackle can that. Can you one. imagine how big the cheer would be? Uh, at WWDC <laughs> in the What's New in App Store Connect session this year. If all they said was you can now do things from your iPhone. How, <laughs> how incredible would that be? But also, I mean, Apple did rename the WWDC app to be the developer app, right? So even even if they're saying, look, we're not touching App Store Connect, uh, we don't have anyone here that, can, that knows what's going on there. <laughs> um, I mean, it's also not unreasonable to just say, let's expand the developer app. It, it already is called the developer app, right? It wouldn't be... I wouldn't be surprised if we can actually see like your your scheduled builds and and your previous builds and maybe even being able to install your you know if if yeah, you actually have you a cloud like, service and being able to install your internal builds through that or something. Don't you think something like test flight seems like a more not content, not for your entire management for part, right? The the kind of pushing builds or rather do you do you mean App Store Connects? Because App Store Connect that would also be a possibility. There's Ah, uh, there is an App Store connector. Yeah. Good point. I totally forgot that that app also exists. Yeah, that would that would make more sense for me. But it's entirely possible that we move away from the App Store connector app and have the developer app, or a bit of both. Like, um, you know, they they serve different purposes, I suppose. One's and, more news and information. And the App Store Connect app has been getting yeah, yeah. recent updates, right? Yeah. And you can already mm. see your builds. Yeah, yeah so update, I, yeah. I revert on the developer app and yeah. put it all in App Store Connect instead. Yeah, that <laughs> seems plausible. Yeah, you confused me a bit there. Yeah, I confused myself, so <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I think that definitely makes sense. Have that for developers and then uh, test flight for people who use the apps. Just leave test flight alone. Mm. Totally. Yeah, but I, I, it seems like those all those things, at least I feel like all those things come together so much at the moment. I, I cannot see it not happening this year that we're getting yeah, some you, kind of... Yeah, you, diff- you, you, you're thinking this year? Because I was thinking you would see this happening. I thought this could potentially be seen last year. Yeah, but now you actually see things... Like now Apple actually ships things that are required for all of this to come together. Right. Yeah, yeah. So now, so considering that we're seeing all those things kind of starting to align, mm-hmm. it would be odd to do that. You know, two and a yeah. half years yeah. before you release, yeah, yeah, or one and a half years before. Yeah, kind of makes sense to bring those kind of align all your tracks and then say, look. Y- usually, you have to have with Apple, right? You can kind of start to see things mm-hmm. kind of through the forest, or like things seem to kind of. Uh, go towards safe areas. I wonder yeah. what they're for. And then yeah, or like, size classes. A notch. Yeah, you know, it's it's usually that you can kind of. I mean, despite Apple being super secretive, you can kind of see when things kind of pull in one direction. And if they're not making sense yet, that usually means they start making sense soon. And I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like this this might be what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but either way, it's it's very exciting. I, I'm I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to this year stepped up more and more. Uh, <laughs> so you're gonna apply for a ticket? Is that what I'm hearing? <sighs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. If we if we will, but I'm definitely excited. Hmm. Would you use Xcode on the iPad? Either of you? Let's start with Zach. Also, uh, just a disclaimer: Zach is. Uh, it's raining in Sydney, so <laughs> there is no internet. Uh, so Zach has an extra. I think. Th- what would this be? Minute. <laughs> it feels like an extra minute of delay. So if he is a bit slower than usual, that well, is not. You say there's no internet, but we are talking to each other, so well, there's we should no, clarify there's that no it's internet just mobile internet going through wires. There's only wireless internet in form of four G. I mean, there's wires eventually. There, like there it are hits the wires. But wires are just... still involved. It's just the wires that usually go to yes. your house that Get are your not network connectivity straight, guy. Yeah, I know. But yes, mm. extra delay. Classic. So if Zach is responding um, so that is not because of his mental state, but his internet state. Partly because <laughs> of my mental state, but I'll take the compliment. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, look, to answer to answer your question. Um, You're American. It's a good question. <laughs> Someone is stalling. I wouldn't sit down in front of my iPad at home and open xcode and like if, if my laptop is is two meters away i'm not going to opt for the ipad over the um the mac uh, i i'm it, look i'm assuming a, a lot of the assumptions are based on like the ipads that we have today and mm-hmm. and the like screen sizes and the performance and all of that kind of stuff like it makes sense for me to use a platform or a, uh, a machine that i'm familiar with um running xcode and then the tools i'm familiar with there but uh that said um if I don't know, like if the iPad was the only thing that I had nearby and I had a bout of inspiration to make a change to something in one of my apps, it's like, well, then maybe it does make sense to to whip out the iPad and, and use it. It's better than not making that change. Um, but it'll really, really depend on the tooling, I think, and, and what what it involves, what, what it's capable of. Maybe for the first iteration, there'll be certain restrictions, like you can only work on... Um, Swift UI views, and you know maybe there's no storyboards on this mystical uh, Xcode for iPad. Who mm-hmm. knows? Um, and that would be quite limiting. Um, maybe I it's a fully featured Xcode. To be and maybe only, maybe to be Xcode. 
Yeah, yeah. And that for, for for UI, I would probably expect that. Um, it makes sense. Like, yeah, and I guess playground as well. Yeah, yeah, those kind of things. Like, it makes sense that because um, because we have playgrounds already, and mm-hmm. and it's capable of of building and running playgrounds. It's actually playgrounds is quite a nice experience on the yeah, iPad. Yeah, but it might um, be a bit more so powerful. So we'll see. But yeah, mm-hmm. how about either of you? But it's definitely also the way work. In, like now when we've done Swift UI for quite some time, you kind of change the way you're structuring. Or at least for me, that's what happened. I used to be very much like when I, I used to lay out a lot of things in, in storyboards and use storyboards kind of as as a storyboard, right? You kind of put what? your skeleton together where yeah. you have all your segues and all your connections and all the views just say the name of what they're going to do, right? So I used to kind of go from from kind of a top-down view and then kind of work my way to, towards all the the leaves. Mm-hmm. And with SwiftUI, that kind of flipped around. So what I'm usually doing now is that I work on the smallest part of the view first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So for our time entry view, I started like with um, kind of the, the very detail of one specific uh, row, right? Only like part parts of the elements and then kind of kind of separated it and kind of left part where it's kind of showing the the project info and the right part where it kind of shows the timer then i moved one layer out and did the entire or we did the entire uh the row and then moved one level out and kind of did the entire list and then moved out and did like the day overview and then moved out and did the navigation so it's kind of the reverse where you start all the way at the leaves and work your way back rather than going all the way out and work your way in um, yeah. And I think for that, I would definitely opt for the, like, if, if I, let's say I'm, I have everything set up perfectly and the iPad is, is a device that I have readily available and it's nice to work from, it, I would totally see myself using the iPad for specific views that are very, like, touch mm. heavy, right? Yeah. It's, it's kind of awkward to use Xcodes on the Mac for making iOS apps that are very, touch heavy like dragging things around gestures all of that is a bit awkward on on a mac just by design right there are different platforms Mm -hmm. so for those i could totally see to say all right for this view i want to use the ipad yeah but i almost feel like that's the same as using a design tool on an ipad like it's getting closer to it right because you might just use it for the sake of mocking something up and i think that's something that swift ui is really is is like it's really nice with Swift UI. If you're a person who might do both design and development, you could easily use Swift UI and potentially use it on an iPad in order to get all of your basic views set up and then do the gluey the gluey bits on on a mm-hmm. on a computer mm. instead. And I think in that scenario, like in general, if I make a certain type of UI elements, I enjoy making on an iPad and using a pencil for. Mm. So maybe you can even get pencil integration that would be pretty cool probably right Mm. and i can totally see that because then also is i feel like at the moment a lot of development i don't know i don't know it it really happened over the last week and a half where where a lot of things switched for me with swift ui um it's i'm a lot more comfortable jumping into like a ui problem for a few minutes like it's like i i have an idea i just try something out quite quickly yeah because everything is kind of contained right you usually don't have to put things into context you could just say file new view start playing around with it you don't Mm -hmm. really have to worry about data flow you just have your preview dump in the data you want and don't really worry about the rest of your your and what i really like about it is that you don't have to if you could do the same thing using storyboards but in order for that to actually look good you were required to set up proper constraints in order for it to actually 
work and like be 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 usable. Whereas in Swift UI, since everything is really is relying on separate views and separate stacks, it sort of fixes its layout for you. And so you, you don't really so you have to worry about around. it as like, much, right? Yeah, yeah. And I often, but I've often been like, I've been aware that I shouldn't put too much details into design at an early stage when I'm using storyboards or just other types of laying out code that are not Swift UI, because I know that I will probably change my mind about it and it will be a pain to move things and it will require a lot more work. So at that point, I would probably rather have mocked it up with some other tool, but I feel like Swift UI allows me to directly mock it up instead. It's not, it's not just about up. mocking it up. I, I, I just think it's also just a lot easier. Like we're we're going to work on or we're, we're having some kind of graphs in our app. Yeah. Probably not for 1.0, but 1.1 or 1.2, mm-hmm. where you can actually see graphs of like the, the work you've done, where you spend your time, you know, throughout the day and those kind of things. And you don't really like... I, I already know what, what I want it to look like. I don't really need to mock it up a lot. But being able to kind of just focus on on the graphing without worrying about where does the data come from? How do the constraints, like, how do I need to deal with this view for its constraints? How do I hook it up to anything to even try it out? Especially for things that are very dynamic, right? I, I can now just have an array of of views where the data is in different states, right? That's quite nice with SwiftUI. You just have a group and you... Yeah. you Give yeah, it like I saw, three or four different views. Yeah, when um, you did that, I saw you doing that with some views, and you have like one example, like one mock-up view with dark mode and one with light mode, and you mm. can actually see it directly there without having to say change your system preferences. Yeah, and, and all the changes nice. you make, you directly see. Ah, I forgot to actually make this color work for different ways, or even like different locales and different languages. And for those kind of things, I can totally see that being a task that doesn't require. Like at the moment, I like working on on a Mac because it feels like it doesn't get in the way. But it's it's like somehow now my Swift UI approach, especially to the UI part, not the data flow, but the UI part, is definitely something where I can see myself doing it in environments. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just incredibly picky with my development environment. I mean, I know I am, but I <laughs> what? can. What to- you picky about something? <laughs> um, but I can totally see myself doing that for for those kind of things on on different devices. So I, I I can totally see myself using Xcode on iPad to design views and try out views. So I guess after WWDC this year we gotta buy a new a new iPad. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually wouldn't mind because I think you're right. I think it would be quite good for those type of things. And if we will continue using Swift UI as much as we do now I could imagine this being a really useful tool. Mm-hmm. It might be the thing that's needed for me to feel like the iPad is something I use every day. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about those kind of things uh, last week, right? Where we talked about how, was it last week, two weeks ago? Yeah, last what week. What to make the iPad more pro. And we yeah. kind of came down to, really, it's applications. Yeah. And I feel like Xcode, of course, for what we're doing is, is kind of the core yeah. pro application. That and a few missing. things I use are sketching tools and like creative tools. And I think this is definitely similar type of work mm. to that. And for you, that also means, like, in theory, again, this is the unicorn version of Xcode that, where everything is amazing, right? And works the way we think it could. Um, for you in particular, you're, you're also artistic. <laughs> you can do a lot more things on the iPad, right? You can actually mm. do, do a sketch and then move it into, into code or even create assets for the app <laughs> on the same device. Yeah. 
like if that all works nicely with some kind of integrations where you can drop things across and that that could be a That'd really be nice cool. flow. like, like you just I can make totally your assets and drag them directly into your asset catalog yeah i can That'd definitely see a an apple video of a workflow where mm -hmm. someone designs something dra drags the, the elements in mm -hmm. and the app kind of changes and becomes like nicer as, yeah. as those assets being the the, the placeholder assets being replaced by the real assets that were created on the same device you know that is definitely yeah. kind of the you see when a when a platform is at a point where you can create things for that platform on itself mm -hmm. you know that's usually kind of an indication of a of a mature platform it would mm -hmm. be it would be cool anyway so man this this dream that you made up now sounds pretty good <laughs> yeah cool i can't wait for i guess i can't wait for can't uh, wait for your dream no. to become true <laughs> let's see uh hopefully apple takes all this into considerations over the next what is it four months and just just do it they're probably just like oh no shit that's what we've been working on for the last <laughs> few years idiot <laughs> it's harder than you think man <laughs> give it a minute uh, yeah Yeah, no, but I, I I can imagine that being the direction they're moving in. But I think we should also not expect everything to come at once because that is a bit optimistic, but it would be cool. Mm. But that also probably means, I mean, realistically, you probably won't do a lot of macOS apps on that. But Catalyst would be an option, most likely, mm. right? You could probably make a Catalyst app yeah, on the iPad. Yeah, but we're also going to move over to, like, once we're done with the Mac app, we're going to make an iOS app. Mm. Um, so we will definitely have use out, use for get use out of it. No, but I wonder I wonder how Apple will position that. I mean, you can definitely create view like SwiftUI views on on that magical Xcode for iPad. Um, that <laughs> you that can you could... definitely do this because <laughs> I know exactly all the features that will be in there. But in this theoretical environment that we now created for ourselves, or that theoretical future, you would be able to create SwiftUI views that you would be able to use across. But I don't think you could use um, macOS-specific APIs, right? That No, yeah, that makes sense. Like It's not like you would be able to make a, um, like a menu bar integration. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I would expect because, I mean, that would be kind of hard to, to get running on the iPad. Mm. But uh, a Catalyst app probably would even work where you could make an iPad app. Or on the iPad, you could make an app for macOS. Oh, interesting interesting future <laughs> cool hmm. yeah you know you just came up with this yourself <laughs> the, the future is exciting it's great so i'm glad you I, found I, it interesting it is yeah. but i think it's plausible right it used to be more wishful I know, thinking. i'm just i'm just now it feels like in, i'm just making fun of you yeah but i, I think we're we're approaching uh We're at least uh, slowly approximating a world in which that would be not yeah. unreasonable. We're not dreaming up flying cars here. This is this is not too implausible. Oh. Hmm. Would be interesting. I mean, you could make flying cars. So it's just not very. I don't think it would be as convenient as people think. <laughs> super loud, super dangerous. Everyone would be dead now. Have you seen how bad people are at driving? Yeah, and they are on like one plane. Imagine if that would be in, in the sky. Yeah, it's like we eradicated humanity in a week. Yeah. Yeah, not a future I want. <laughs> iPad, uh, Xcode on iPad, on the other hand, yeah, I could see you that. You could take that future. Yeah. Um, so you've also been running a bit of macOS Catalina beta, Kai, on your, on your laptop. Mm -hmm. How do you find that in, in terms of stability? Do you find that this beta is stable? Would you recommend people to move over to it <laughs> no I, i don't know the answer to this i mean it sounds we, like we just talked about how there are like 
literally two things in that beta. <laughs> so I don't know. It, it feels yeah, it's really exactly the same. Yeah. Overall, I mean, we did have Catalina crash uh, during this recording, and but that was not on the beta. Copy. No, that was on the unstable one. But overall, like Catalina has been fine. This was the first major issue I've had. How do you find it, Zach? I mean, it, Catalina in general. Yeah, it's. I mean, we've had it like that uh, recording. Sorry, the crash that Kai had earlier. I've had a few of those um, since very early on in the betas. Um, we've been struggling with that during our recordings for six months now. Mm-hmm. Um, but apart from that, it's been pretty okay. Uh, I've not had any major issues. I didn't run any 32-bit apps. Um, so maybe it was a bit lucky there. But it, it's fine. Like, it's as seemingly as solid as any other. Uh, Mac OS release from the last few years. iOS 13 mm. was obviously more of an issue and we spoke about that at the time. Um, but Catalina itself, I personally haven't had any concerns with. Um, it, in fact, it's probably slightly better. Um, some of the some of the weird issues with external displays that have been on and off for a few years are almost fixed in Catalina. And I know that there's a new round of issues with the Pro Display XDR, but obviously not dealing with one of those. So, um, yeah, with my <laughs> Lucky experience you. With, with the screens that I'm using, um, it hasn't been hasn't been a concern. Yeah. Do, do you refer to the brightness-related things? Yes. Yes. Why the screen's maximum brightness after plugging mm. it in. I think that has already been fixed, hasn't it? Wasn't there... Wasn't that Unsure. part of... I thought it was part of the last stable, like, 10.15.3 update that that was ah, okay, addressed. possibly. When was that? Um, how recent? Uh, when did that happen? A week ago? I'm, I'm really bad at keeping track of time at the moment, but I believe <laughs> it was roughly a week ago. January uh, 29, so okay. uh, just sure. over a week ago. Hmm. Yeah, not bad. All right. Yeah. But overall, I, I think Catalina's fine. And, I mean, if you want to use uh, the Xcode 11.4 beta, you have to run Catalina. So there's no no choice for developers now who want to try the new shiny Xcode stuff to, to upgrade to Catalina. Mm, I think it's okay. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold off on it if, if I want to try something. If, uh, I mean, I did. <laughs> but I think I wouldn't say... I wouldn't tell people to wait with experimenting with the new Xcode features just because... They would have to upgrade to Catalina, I think, if they want to do that. Go ahead and upgrade to Catalina, unless you have like something that you really need that only support that only works in thirty-two bit. Yeah, but also realistically, now it's a way better time. You know, day one was yeah. probably rough, or the beta period, because a lot of apps were not updated for all the security permissions, and some apps didn't upgrade update to the sixty-four uh, bit binaries. But mm-hmm. now, like I don't, I don't know, I don't run into any any issues anymore related mm-hmm. to developers not updating or stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the obvious thing is some games that haven't been updated. But I usually don't play games on my computer. If I, and lately, I've been using uh, something like GeForce Now, which is like a sort of like an emulator. Not emulator. No, it's not an emulator. It's Let's like not a get into that. <laughs> cloud gaming. You, can you not read the show notes, Marlin? I'm sorry. I'm going that. off track. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Cool. So betas are not too bad. Boring. No, hmm. no changes. Hmm. Unless you're really into uh, key events on on Catalyst. Hmm. Uh, yeah, not, not a lot of not a lot of th- things happening in that realm at the moment. I'm sure we'll come and we'll get the the uh, what was it called? The new iCloud agent. We're probably getting that back at some point. Oh yeah. Can't wait. Let's see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds so excited. No, I'm actually, I, I actually would like uh, the shared iCloud. Uh, folders that would actually be something i would really look forward to 
because all the other ones are they're working but i'm not really happy with any of the other solutions cool um should we move on to things of the week all right yeah let's do it right, zach you go first Okay, so just to confirm, because last week I butchered my pick at first with picking something I've already been <laughs> picked. Has anyone picked Jason Peep? And I'm pretty sure no one has. I but don't I think, think I ever heard of this. So, no. Okay, cool. Um, it's very simply a Safari extension that formats JSON nicely In if you look at a JSON uh, file, like a, either a local one or a remote one in Safari. Um, there's okay. a few extensions like this for Chrome, and I was envious of a few people at work who could open some JSON responses, uh, certain some JSON files on their in their browser, um, and have it formatted nicely, and sort of have um, like the ability to collapse certain um, sections and things like that. Um, so I had a look around for one that might do the same thing for Safari, and came across JSON Peep. Um, of course, for being able to do this, it needs to read the contents of any web page. So I have it mm-hmm. disabled by default. But then, if I happen to be looking at a JSON file in Safari, um, or m- more commonly an API response, um, then I will um, I will enable it and uh, do a little toggle to to nicely format JSON. Um, yeah, it's pretty handy. Nice. Hmm. All right. Cool. Um. I I always use like. Like a lot of the other, like Firefox has a pretty nice one built in. I always use that. Ah, uh, okay. yeah, yeah, that's also or, a way built. Or, or something like Paw for yeah, when I'm always, actually working yeah. with. Yeah, if, uh, I do the same if I actually work with APIs. My thing with Paw is I'm not going to add a one-off request. Like if I get sent something oh, yeah. uh, at work and I don't really need to look at it other than that for that one time, um, I'm not going to bother adding mm-hmm. it to a Paw project. Um, and oh, I just does. happily open it in the browser. Yeah, I usually just open like a new window in Paw, paste it in there, and then just get rid of it. I don't create a new document. I mean, create yeah, a new document, yeah. but I'm not saving it anywhere. That's usually my that workflow. But yeah, anything fact, that makes yeah. it more readable, whatever works with your workflow. Cool. Yeah, no, it's a handy extension to have. Oh, that yeah. sounded more judgmental than I planned to. <laughs> whatever works with your workflow. <laughs> Savage. <laughs> All right, uh, I go next. Um, so my pick this week is uh, a game called Beat Saber, yeah, uh, which nice. is a game for it's a VR game. Um, I play it on the Oculus Quest. I I mean it's been out for a while and it's available for different VR headsets, but I played my first 360 level, I guess level um, yesterday, and song, that was song, yeah, song, and that was really cool. So I think I specifically want to say Beat Saber. 360 versions like because i think that's pretty cool uh so if you don't know what beat saber is it's basically like a rhythmic vr game uh you have two uh lightsabers um (laughs) that you have to hit different sort of tones with think about guitar hero but you're like standing in a room and there are like tones flying around you and like i mean it's more like it's It's more like you slash through them it's more like blocks right yeah it's blocks with arrows on and you have to slice them in the direction of the arrow yeah yeah exactly so you have to use your bait saber to like split those blocks in different directions um and it's really cool and in general i'm not this is not my the, the music that you have in beat saber is not my type of music but the game was really fun and i think 
this type of music fits quite well into this game in general. Yeah, they have quite I, a I lot tend of to music packs, to, right? They have. Yeah, I just tend to listen to a lot slower music. This is very. This is a bit more technic, te- like techno music, and sometimes a bit more, like what would you call it, like dance music. I mean, they do have Green Day, and you can have like all those custom music packs. I mean, there's a lot of music. You can yeah. essentially play whatever music you want it's but just the default yeah i'm talking about the default ones they are not really the ones that i thought i would be into mm-hmm. but i think in the game setting i found them to be really perfect for those type for this for this type of game the music worked quite well mm-hmm. and it's really fun and when you do the 360 levels basically what happens is that it's not just one track of blocks you have to like slash you have to actually move around in 360 surprise um so you actually have to like hit the tones in different directions and that's really cool and it's so exhausting um, <laughs> it's, it's like I, I, I was thinking oh, I will play a bit of VR and then I will work out but like this is a workout it's actually really really quite exhausting when you do it in 360 uh, really fun and there are a lot more things to it than just slashing things you also have to actually hit the tones and have a rhythm and look like think ahead and look what's coming up and be able to hit those notes and dodge spikes and walls yeah there are also walls coming up and yeah it's it's fun it's really cool I recommend it if anyone has access to a VR headset. And wants a more fun workout. Yeah. Uh, and wants to look ridiculous. I, I feel like we have windows like throughout our whole apartment. And I feel like I'd look ridiculous while I'm doing this. But I don't care because I have fun. Mm. <laughs> you also close all the blinds. So that helps. I didn't well. close all the blinds. <laughs> <laughs> that was unrelated. Mm. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Good. Good pick. Yeah. Um, I also have something game related. Uh I didn't realize you would pick something game related. My pick this week is GeForce Now, which is a game streaming service. Hmm. So if you uh, want to play games, but your computer is either a potato, which cannot play games, or you or a you, Mac, or or a Mac that can also not play uh, a lot of the kind of newer AAA games, uh, GeForce Now is a good solution because you can just log into into your GeForce Now account. Pick a game from a Steam library. Most, mm, I don't, I don't want to say most, but they have quite a large library. I think it's something like 600 games that they are supporting. And they're running them in the cloud and just stream the video to you and push your input to them so you don't have to actually run them locally, hmm. which is really nice. And GeForce yeah. Now just went live. It was in beta for, I don't even remember, three years, four years? It's been a long time. Very yeah. long time. Yeah, so. yeah. and I, I was joking. Like it does. I think your Mac works quite well with games, but I think on my laptop it's quite... My laptop is not great for for playing games on. So if you if you have like a lightweight computer that you you don't want to install games on, this is perfect. Yeah, but also just if you like, unfortunately, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to play games at the moment because we're too excited about working on something else, right? Um, But you probably wouldn't want to spend like hours downloading random games, clear out hard drive space or SSD space to to actually fit the, you know, games are huge there, hundreds of gigabytes. Uh, And you might not want to give that much of space on your your disk up to, to play a game or to install a game that you then play for like half an hour every every couple of months when you're when you're up for it right so it's it's also just a nice way for if you're if you're up for something to just jump into it play for like actually play rather than spending time setting it all up play for a few minutes and then be done with it and it's it's not you know 
your mm-hmm. your Mac is not on fire from from pushing the GPU that was not designed to play games continuously. You're just jumping into the game, playing it, and then dismissing it, and you're done with it. So it's quite nice. Mm-hmm. And the um, they went into like the public version now is is free for as long as you're happy to have your session capped to one hour. So the game will just kick you out after an hour, and then you can start another one if you really want to. Yeah, so that's just an hour per session. Per session, yeah. Oh, so it's no limit on how many sessions you No. Oh. And then I think it's like a $5 plan per month if you want to have a six-hour like an extended session. Do you get the same... DPUs yeah, I was going to say, do you get the same hardware on the free one? No, you, you don't... You're not hit by the... Like, you get priority access, so you don't have, like, the waiting for next available computer kind oh. of thing that you could have on the free plan. Mm-hmm. And you're getting better GPUs for for specific games. Like if you're really into want to play games that support ray tracing, for example, they actually yeah. have like uh, RTX 2080 equivalent GPUs that are then dedicated to your gaming session. For mm-hmm. like the free plans, they might even share your GPU across multiple users. But if you're like if you pay the five dollars and you play an RTX enabled game, you actually get a dedicated dpu for for your session so if you're into that uh, and especially if you're if you happen to have more time of your life dedicated to games it, it's quite nice to to have access to that without having to make that decision right it's it's quite mm-hmm. especially if you do buy macs it's quite hard to find a mac that both is capable of playing games and also not uh, the price of a car and a house um, <laughs> and this kind of makes it a lot easier to because realistically for most computing most iMacs are fine for playing games. You kind of need the top spec one. Mm-hmm. This allows you if you do want to be able to play games every now and then, but don't want to have to spend that much money on the mm-hmm. Mac, you can get the baseline and then just use GeForce Now or any other game streaming service to to jump in. And I think that's a, that's a cool state of computing and gaming that we're in. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good pick, and I've been enjoying it so far. Haven't played that much lately, but I finished portal and portal co-op on it and that worked really well mm. yeah it's, it's really cool i think that's awesome. it yeah i am starting to get tired i'm sorry if i came through in the episode it's not you guys it's me <laughs> sure mm. uh yeah i will go back to uh xcode on ipad now i can't wait to, <laughs> to work on the next view just getting some real work done yeah mm. No. Can't wait to to turn off audio hijack on this silly Mac and get back to a real computer. <laughs> oh, classic. But even imagine right, have a good uh, week. Yeah, <laughs> Zach is Sorry. so delayed. <laughs> like, yeah, Al, it makes it sound like you really don't care about things I'm saying because I'm like, but imagine, <laughs> and Zach's like. Well, see you. Have Bye. a good week. <laughs> no, but you know how oh, how bad. the new iPads actually have like the USB C to connect your your screen, so you could actually have like a that's true the entire oh, iPad dedicated like to the real, app. Oh, I'm not I'm not convinced. I mean, this is not going to replace my computer, but this definitely seems like a workflow I would enjoy. It is, yeah, it is definitely. I can see an appealing workflow where you have mm. the iPad kind of dedicated to, to testing and then typing some code on top on the on the screen, right? Especially when you have like a Bluetooth keyboard, you can have a keyboard, type some code, it reloads on your iPad. You can play around with it. It's, it's. I, I can see that being being useful. Mm. Cool. Mm. All right. Um, talk to you guys next week. Mm. Mm. Talk to you next week. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Is the timing okay just, there? Just, Did you hear it? Was just, it? <laughs> <laughs> just, just for the listener's sake, I will 
I, I will try to to edit everything in this episode so you're not sounding like you're you're kind of very you. very behind on everything. But but I'll leave this one in real time just for people to get an idea of what we had to deal with this week. 